You know how fast you're going? What? How fast you're going? I don't know. Ten? Eight. Be advised, this is an explicit podcast. If you're easily offended, get your panties twisted into a knot. Leave now. Run in your safe space. Get your little cloth for your tears. All the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and his guest and do not reflect the opinions of any local or government agency. Welcome to Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Ice Man. Uh, we need the housekeeping out the way real quick. We do have a guest uh, in the green room waiting. So if anybody wants a great tasting cigar, go to mypatriotcigar.com. Use the promo code MOTORCOP15. You get 15% off if you order. So $100 or more, you'll get free shipping. If you want any merchandise, T-shirts, got a new candle out and stuff like that, you can go to my Etsy store, Motor Cop Chronicles uh, Podcast Etsy store. You can go to the website, motorcopchronicles.com, and all the links are there. All the merch is down there. If you want more episodes, we uh, comes up to 19 right now. Uh, you got videos, pictures, all kind of text, uh, a lot of stuff on there. If you want that, you can join the Patreon. Uh, if not, understand times are tough. We'll keep putting out all the free stuff also. Uh, Speaking of our full crew members, we got uh, Mr. Jared Nitrous. We got uh, Mr. John Demink. We got Dan Carlson with Burley Boards. We got T Bird. We got Mr. Jim Pokrant with the Short Track Guys podcast. Our favorite truck driver, Mr. Hoppy Hoppison. Blake Walker, A.A. Ron from the I Had to Say It podcast. Mr. Z Palmer. Roy Spaulding. That's Roy with the S, not the P. We got our favorite girl from Australia, JoJo. We got Kaylee Norris and Natasha from the state of Washington and the OG crew member, Melissa Holstein. Appreciate y'all helping me keep the lights on. And uh, we'll get into it uh, as soon as I can get back to my screen. Uh, we're going to introduce uh, Miss uh, Vicki Speed. She is all the way over there in Cali. We ain't going to hold that against her there. <laughs> she probably thinks I sound like a raging redneck. Because uh, everybody says I have a real thick country accent, which I do not hear. Uh, so, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, what you. Uh, I know you have a nonprofit, I believe now, stuff like that. I do. Well, first, let me tell you, thank you for uh, bringing me on, for allowing me to share my cause. Uh, my background is actually construction accounting. I was in project management for 30 plus years, uh, did it well, knew it well. And, uh, you know, live in life. My husband was a detective for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for 18 years. You know, like everyone else, we were on the five-year plan to retire. We were going to move. Uh, life was beautiful and good. And uh, 2016, my husband had run Baker to Vegas, just turned 50 years old, uh, was feeling it, struggling a little bit, um, training over the fall. He'd been a runner his whole life. And he got home and, you know, we kind of laughed about it. His, his time for himself was not great. For me, it, you know, it would have been amazing. But uh, six weeks later, he came by my office and told me he didn't feel good. He actually didn't look too well, and he had been talking about the stress of the job and uh, just felt like maybe 50. He was getting a little old to be uh, chasing the bad guy 24-7. Maybe he needed to slow down. So he uh, stepped down from the specialized team he was on and just said, I don't feel good. So, you know, when a man says, I don't feel good, you don't know exactly what that means. So, uh we ended up uh, contacting our um, urgent care and they got him in, did some labs. And two weeks later, my husband was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer. Mm. And that began a 26 month journey for my family. Uh, they gave him five to 10 years. It was very aggressive when he was diagnosed. And we were uh, very blessed. We had not just a station, but a department that stood behind us. Um, I think some of the best care possible, the City of Hope here, 
in the Antelope Valley. Great doctors, great support system. I uh, couldn't have done this without his partners, uh, but it was a very, uh, very difficult time the last few months. Uh, he did pass at home. Uh, you know, cancer is an ugly word. It's an ugly disease. It's ugly to watch somebody go through it. Uh, never saw it coming. Never in a million years, if you had asked me, you know, five years prior, do you think this is where you guys would be? I would have said no. So July 7th, 2018, uh, my husband passed. Um, his partners were here. It was my son and I. And he went home. And so began um, what I would say the most painful time of my life. Uh, you think you're ready for grief, but you're not. You think you, um, people say, you know, it's easier because you have time and you have time to say goodbye and to talk about things. I don't believe you're ever ready to lose your significant other. I don't. Um, at the time I was 53, I thought that was really young. And um, my, I was devastated. It was completely devastated myself, my son, my family. So that's where my journey began. I have a, well, one of my ex-partners, one of my, you know, he was a very good friend of mine. Uh, I remember when we were working and he uh, kept complaining about this uh, sore on the bottom of his heel. And it, he said it wouldn't heal. You know, we're guys, you know, we're, you know, men are tough. You can go to doctor until it's basically, you know, you have no choice. But I kept telling him, I said, dude, you got to go to the doctor, find out what's going on. I mean, it was just this tiny little hole. We happened, we were going, we were getting off our motorcycles to go to a, uh, we had just finished escorting a, a officer down funeral. We were at the, guys got to the cemetery. And uh, he got, when he got off his bike, he went and he, he went to walk and he was like, he's like, he's hurting so bad. He pulled his boot off, you know, because we wore, wore the tall boots. He pulled it off and his boot was just full of blood. His sock was saturated and everything else. So finally he, he drove himself home, went to the doctor the next day. It was melanoma. Oh, wow. And uh, they ended up having to cut his complete heel off. It's amazing how you know, technology and medical is now that they rebuilt it. You know, he was cancer free for, I don't know how many years after that. It was quite a while. And it just came back. And when it came back, I guess it was pissed off because it came back aggressively and everywhere. And he ended up, you know, passing away from that, uh, you know, in his, uh, like two years from retirement. And uh, so I know that, and I, I lost my mom to small cell lung cancer. I lost uh, another, my grandma, to pancreatic cancer. My dad died about four years ago. He had just got diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, but he ended up, uh, he was older and had a bad heart. And uh, after his second chemo treatment, he had a heart attack and passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. So. It's, I haven't lost a spouse, but uh, I can understand you're never, you're never, you're never ready for it. And no, no, you're not. And you know, I think cancer is probably one of the most horrific words you can hear. Uh, you know, I can't compare it to anything else. But I just, I remember the phone call with telling him he had stage four cancer, and I heard nothing else. And I tell people it's a gut punch you're not ready for. And I can't imagine how my husband felt. Um, you know, he was a really strong man. He was a man of faith, uh, God, country, family, uh, his partners, his job, serving his community. And he uh, he went into this thing, um, I'll say like a, like a badass cop would. And he, uh, he said, cancer isn't going to define me. Cancer is not going to define our home. It's something I have. Uh, I'm going to fight like hell for that five to 10 years. But, you know, we'll see what happens. And he made a decision every day he was going to live. And he had also told me the day the diagnosis came, he said, we will never ask why. We will never ask why us. We're going to say, why not us? Why not us so we can go out and change the world? And, you know, not realizing at that time how much it would affect me later on, those were some pretty profound words. It's not like he, uh, I hope I never have experienced it for myself or, you know, like that, but I've thought about it. Uh, 
you know, because obviously it seems like we got them bad genes up in my family. Uh, I just had an uncle uh, two weeks ago passed away from pancreatic cancer. Uh, I just went to a memorial service for him uh, two weekends ago. And uh, he wasn't but like uh, 66 years old. Wow, that's and, young. And my uh, my cousins went, because my sister had told me, there's some tests you can do now where you can, you know, find out if you have the markers or whatever or predisposed. And, mm-hmm. like, they went ahead and they asked me about it. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. They're like, well, I'm like, why would I? There's, it, so if I do, it's like, well, if there's nothing I can do to change it, it's in your DNA. So, I mean, so that's just one more thing I got in the back of my head I'm worried about. I said, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm not going to, you know, worry about it. So, You know, it's uh, it's actually genetic testing, and I have talked to my son about that. It's funny you mentioned that. I encouraged him to go do it, but he's like you. He said, I absolutely will not do it. I know I have the gene because it's passed from the males. And he said, I don't need to know. I will just be proactive, you know, do my PSA because uh, I know my dad had it, but I'm not going. And I had to respect that. Yeah. I will tell, uh, say it, well, because I'm, I'm 52, I'm getting ready to be 53, uh, you know, and as much as us men don't like it, you got to go get them colonoscopies and stuff like that. Go get yourself checked out because uh, a lot of stuff, you know, might, might catch it in time before it's too late. Don't wait until you're too, it's too late. Right, right. Uh, no, I agree. Um, you know, it's that coulda, shoulda, woulda, but we looked back and my husband had realized he had about at least two years prior, he knew that he had probably been really sick, just kept pushing through. And uh, he crazy part is he did have a colonoscopy uh, four months prior to the diagnosis. I do not know how it came back clear. Not possible because he had a huge mass in there. Wow. Uh, so we're still kind of, you know, I had to let that one go. Yeah. And yeah, I did. And uh, for men, you know, I just encourage this, get your PSA done. And that's a blood test. And when you're doing your physical, you know, if your doctor won't do it, demand it. I don't suggest waiting till 50. Um, I encourage men to start at 40, you know, like women, the earlier, the better. And uh, prostate cancer is very, uh, very treatable, especially early on. Yeah, when I, you know, from my family, they said it's, it's very treatable. The problem is with prostate cancer is you don't find out you have it until it's stage four usually, and it's basically almost too late at that point. Right, right. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was pretty horrific. I had never been through cancer. I didn't have family members with cancer. So it was very foreign to me, and I honestly, I learned a lot. I learned a lot over that 26 months, and I think that's what really gave me the passion to do what I'm doing right now. Tell, tell everybody what you're doing. Well, my husband passed uh, July 7th, 2018, and a conversation that we had had before he died was obviously, what do I do with myself? How do I go on? And uh, he was a very positive man. And he had told me, you need to let your passion or your purpose be bigger than your pain. And I, I don't even think I heard him. I, I didn't want to hear it. You know, he was telling me goodbye. And then after he passed, I went through uh, so much grief and I really had to crawl my way out of it. Uh, I went right into therapy. Uh, I still have a therapist. So, you know, I encourage everybody to do that. But I really uh, let let his words just resonate with me that he spoke over me and spoke to me. And I started asking myself, what would he be doing if he were still alive? What would he be doing had he beat cancer? What would he be doing right now? Because I know he would be giving back. And I kept having these reflections of him uh, sitting in chemo with other patients Uh, There was a day he finished radiation. He was down on the ground out front of City of Hope praying with a veteran who was going through chemo alone. Very, I'm not even going to say maybe three months before he died, he went to the hospital uh, to be with a gentleman who, uh, he was a veteran. They'd gone through cancer together. He was going to pass that night. My husband went and sat with him until he passed. 
And all these things just kept coming back to me. You know, that's who Mitch was. That's, that's how he would be living and what he would be doing. And so I made a decision, you know, someday I just said, I want to get back to cancer and I don't know what that looks like. So um, I had written a book uh, with Tanya Owen um, after the badge and we really started going out and talking about marriage and the difficulties of being married to first responders. Uh, we just were very open about grief and death and what we'd gone through. But then that kind of turned uh, more getting into politics um, from that. And it's not a place I belonged. And I knew that. And I just kept telling myself, cancer, how am I going to get into cancer? What am I going to do? So last fall, uh, I was asked to uh, give assistance to one of our actually very sad 28-year-old deputies with a double stage four diagnosis. He lives very close to me and they had asked, would you be willing to just, you know, be with the family, spend some time with them, talk to him, uh, maybe, you know, help us out financially, do some food trains. And, you know, of course I said, yes. All I could think of is these are the same men and women that gave to my husband and were there for my family. So I stepped into that and they did a, a big drive-by with our department and the LA County Fire Department. And I remember standing in the driveway and looking at him and just watching all of this and, you know, realizing that I had been on my journey and I had done this with my husband, but it was about other people now. It was about other deputies, other officers, uh, the needs that they had. They didn't know how to navigate this. Uh, because with cancer, it's not just you have cancer. And, you know, as a law enforcement officer, it's did I get it from work? Uh, yeah. Do I file workers' comp? Yeah. Now you take on your department. Do I have leave? Do I have health insurance? How long am I paid for? Do I have a job? Am I going back? Am I going to beat it? Uh, how do I make my mortgage payment? My wife doesn't work. And, and just all these things kept uh, going through my head. And I was watching this young man. And it really hit me in that moment. And I thought it's time. It's time that I give back. It's time that I do something. And in the middle of the night, this name came to me. Um, I believe it was God given uh, Blue Cancer Connect. I didn't know what it meant and I didn't know what it looked like. So I got up and wrote it down. I went to uh, City of Hope last fall and uh, my husband had a great relationship with them. And I said, what can we do? to bring treatment to our officers, but at a quicker rate. What can we do where they don't have to call, you know, the regular 1-800 number and say, oh, I'm Joe Smith, I've just been diagnosed, can I get in? And at the time, the wait was uh, two to three months. Right now it's about a four and a half month wait to get into uh, the City of Hope. And uh, they said, Vicki, you know, we will do whatever you need. We love our law enforcement. What can we do to help you? And I said, I need our officers to have resources, but they need to be immediate. They need to be, you know, put at the, basically the top of the line uh, because of what they do. They, um, they deserve to have the best treatment. So City of Hope said, we're on board. You let us know what you need. And I didn't expect that. So I thought, okay, cool. I have this partnership with City of Hope. I don't really know what this looks like. And my initial thought was, I am going to go out and help um, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department uh, give back to the people that gave to me and still give to me. And I just thought, what a great idea. I'll work here in Southern California. So on March 28th um, which of this year, which would have been my husband's 58th birthday, I launched Blue Cancer Connect. And, you know, we went on social media, we had our, our website, uh, kind of just really got my name out there. I have a lot of promotional stuff in five City of Hopes throughout the United States. And within weeks, I was receiving phone calls outside of our department. I have cancer. How can you help me? And so I thought, oh, you know, gosh, I, I don't know that I was really ready for this. So you start asking questions. You start saying, well, you know, what do you need? Where are you at in this? Where are you? And they really just kept coming out. It was either um, I'm an officer and I beat cancer. How can I help? Or I'm an officer. I'm in the middle of cancer. I do want to get involved, but, you know, I'm still I'm at home. I'm doing this. What do you need? Um, I'm an officer. I need a second opinion. 
Um, right now we have an officer whose wife is uh, 40 years old and she unfortunately is not going to make it. This mm. all happened within about two and a half months. And uh, we, I just took a step back and I thought, wow, this is so much bigger than what I thought. So I went back to the drawing board and I really reflected on what um, our cancer journey looked like and what I had learned uh, through this entire process with attorneys, um, finances, department benefits, uh, my husband's benefits, um, just everything you can think of. So I decided I would start reaching out to worker comp attorneys, to foundations that offered, um, the Dream Foundation offers end of life dreams and asking them, you know, what are you willing to do for our officers? Are you willing, if I make this phone call to you, are you willing to jump and say, will help you right now. And it just was a continued yes, 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 we want to partner. Yes, we want to do this. Yes, what can we do? Yes, how can we help you? So I thought, wow, this is it. Um, I'm going to take this thing nationwide. I am going to help as many officers as I can. I've got incredible resources. I have uh, doctors. I have oncologists, urologists, cancer treatment centers, I have an entire team at the City of Hope. I've got work comp attorneys. I've, I think I have the best of the best. And I just uh, made a decision that, um, you know, I've been put in this place from my own unfortunate loss and tragedy that I am going to be able to help uh, officers throughout the United States when they hear that cancer diagnosis. And it's actually been very amazing. Well, you took on a big task and seems like you're killing it uh you know it's been uh it will be six months um in a couple weeks and i actually had a meeting today with an undersheriff of our department which we obviously have the biggest department in the nation and i think we are going to do some really big things and i i made a decision very early on that i would commit my life to this I would commit to helping families because so many helped mine. So many were there for us, whether it was financially, food, uh, driving Mitch around, allowing me to continue to work. And I think with all this knowledge that was given to me on uh, something that I really, you know, didn't ever plan on having to know about, I think you have to give back. I think you really, um, I think you have to pay it forward. And I, you know, like I said, I thought it would be a small scale. It hasn't been. And uh, I do want to do this nationwide and it's going there or it's, it's going there. I'm, it's, I'm all over. I'm all over the United States. I'm, uh, but, you know, even after today, after this meeting, I walked out of there and I knew without a doubt, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, we don't have anything like it for our officers so most departments do not even know how to handle cancer. They don't know what to do with it. We have so many officers at home alone battling cancer, which is wrong. It should not be like that. Um, and we, we need to get them educated. So I feel like I was given all the pieces to the puzzle and I just kind of sat down and I thought, why not me? Why not the one person that um, had this tragedy? You know, why not give back? Well, you definitely doing that. Why don't you, uh, since you started all this from your husband, Mitch, why don't you tell us a, a couple of funny stories that Mitch told you? To... Uh, well, I'm going to tell you some cancer stories. He never. Uh, or he some cancer stories or some, yeah, just let's hear some stories because because of him and you being married is how it started. So, Oh gosh. Uh, he would go to the station and, you know, you guys have this twisted sense of humor in law enforcement. And he would go to the station about once a week. And, you know, they, you know, the guys are really tore up. It's their partner. He's battling cancer. And he would sit down and he'd always start going, <coughs> hey, Speed, you okay? You okay? He's like, oh, yeah, don't worry, you guys. I'm just dying from cancer. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Or he would do that if they would go eat. He'd be like, you know, I'd, I'd pay my own bill right now, but I'm dying from cancer, so I don't really have a lot of money. And just you get this twisted <laughs> sense of humor, but I think, um, 
I think that's how you get through it. And my son has the same sense of humor. So now his big thing is he has dead dad jokes. And I'm like, I'm not okay with it. But uh, yeah, my my husband didn't share a lot about the job. Uh, He kept it close to the vest. I think it was his way of protecting his family. So I don't have a lot of really like funny, uh, you know, work stories. I think I heard him more after he passed and you see pictures and you see uh, just the crazy things they did. And, and, you know, you had a good time at work. He had a really well, good time on the job. He was probably just trying to protect you from the crap that he did say. I think so. I, uh, I really came to understand that after he passed because there was so much I didn't know about the job. Uh, I think he kind of told me what he wanted to and then protected me from the rest. Sugarcoated. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And even with cancer, it was the same way. He would have days, you know, he wouldn't feel good, but he wouldn't call me at work and tell me because he wanted me to finish the day out or, you know, you, you guys are pretty, uh, pretty tough, pretty heroic. I don't know that it's always the best thing. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a, a youngster today at work, uh, little 27 year old guy you know i was talking to another guy you know because i'm i'm only a couple in, i can i can retire in like two years and a few months and uh wouldn't i'll have my i'll have my hard 30 and me and him were talking about some stuff because he's getting closer too and of course the little young rookie guy's like well, I, don't, I don't even know i don't need i don't have nothing to say he says i got so much you know i got 28 years left to get there or something and uh he said we just had to have a um Every year, the department uh, requires us. We have to go do this health screening. The the people they come out, you go, you know, and they 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 do a health screening of you, basically a physical or whatever. And uh, he said something about they said something about uh, I don't know some number he had was bad. And I was like, I said you better go you make a doctor appointment, go get that checked out, boy. Well, I don't feel. Well. I said you're 27 years old. I said if you go do it now and take care of it you might live a little bit longer you know you won't hit you know the high blood pressure and everything else that we have in this profession and stuff like right. that but we'll see i was trying to get to a little you know he's 27 i know how hard-headed i was at 27 i thought i knew everything oh you guys are super <laughs> you're superman you are superman you have that cape on you can beat anything you can um well i think it's great your department has you guys do that um that's something I'm really advocating for is that all departments force that issue that you do have those. Uh, you are required to do physicals once a year. I think that it actually will be life saving. Well, um, I know out here it, it's to save them money. I mean, I appreciate it, but my department uh, they pay for uh, like all my my health insurance and stuff like that. No, my wife has her own to her where she works but you have to pay for your families but uh, they pay for all of ours we we pay no premium whatsoever we don't pay for health insurance and uh okay so it, it helps keep their costs down which i totally understand because uh i mean i'll just tell you the truth uh like so I, don't, I don't know how it is in california like so they pay for my health insurance and they we have i have a health credit card so when i go to the doctor and the the sheriff puts I forget how much is it it's on it's uh I don't know like four or five thousand dollars per person so it's just me and every time I go to the doctor I pay my deductible with this card and when it runs oh, out wow. when it runs out that means my deductible's met and it pays hundred percent anyway so basically when I go to the doctor or get my prescription or something it don't cost me anything out of pocket whatsoever yeah so. ours is not built like that. <laughs> Uh, we do have incredible insurance, but ours is not built like that. And then, well, of course, you know, when I retire, invested once I retire, my health, I have health insurance for, you know, the rest of my life also. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I think out here, and that's, uh, like I said, it's something, I, I'd like to go a little bit into depth to what I actually do. Uh, the first thing is, for, for out here, and it's not every department, because obviously you guys don't have it, you know, our guys are buried in overtime, 80 80 plus hours of mandatory a month, and wow. they're still drafted. Yeah, they're they're drowning out here. Obviously, you know, you turn the TV on, you see where crime is out here, um, the murder rate, the carjackings, the and it's not just here. It's, it's big cities, big Democrat cities. Sorry if I'm going to say it. Big blue cities. 
Yes, yes. So I started with just really pushing with the, you know, get your physicals, stay on top of that. Um, you know, looking for the signs. Hey, I don't feel good. I've had constant migraines. I've had, and and I don't care at what age. Um, out here in Southern California, we're having a big spike in cancer between the age of 28 and 32. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I do not believe that this shot that these booster shots that they gave, I don't think there's any coincidence to this. Um, I could be wrong. I'm not a doc. Like I said, I'm not a doctor, but uh, that's very concerning. And they're seeing a double diagnosis in LA County, which I've never heard of. I have well, never heard. I'm still a true yeah, blood. <laughs> I'm still a true blood. Yeah, ne- <laughs> yeah. Never heard of it. So there's great concerns about that. And um, education. So I bring education, awareness, um, early screenings. I'm really pushing the early screenings. Uh, you know, we have lists of the ages and, uh, when you should get your screenings and, uh, you can push them. You can, uh, self-admit to city of hope, which most people don't know if you're having issues and your general practitioner won't help you with it. Uh, we can, if you do get a diagnosis, um, we're able to get you in, uh, usually within two weeks instead of four months, we, again, just had this wife who's uh, very critical. We got her in in 22 hours. So very, very grateful to the City of Hope and what they're doing and the other, you know, cancer hospitals. And then from that diagnosis, it's um, not leaving our officers and their families alone and uh, giving them someone to talk to, which is another officer somewhere who's either going through the same cancer or if it's a spouse, you know, matching up these officers that your spouse is going through cancer. And then I think where we really step in is um, navigating through the workers comp. That is, that's a beast. That's, and I don't know how it works, you know, a lot outside of California. It's a little bit more difficult here, especially if you have under 10 years. So now you've got to prove the exposures. Um, We have some incredible law firms out here that know this inside now that deal with first responders so we've helped with that. We've helped with uh, officers, you know, running out of leave because uh, then you lose your benefits. So we've been been advocating for that. And then uh, just, you know, unfortunately, giving end of life dreams. We just added on palliative and hospice. We have a medical supplier uh, who's been incredible to our law enforcement officers. We can have equipment anywhere in the United States within 24 hours And we have doctors here uh, locally, and we're trying to expand, but we're trying to get some urgent cares on board uh, that are open 24-7 that will actually do physicals for our doctors or for our officers at any time. So if you're off at midnight and you walk in urgent care at 1230 a.m., they'll start your physical. We don't have 24-hour urgent cares. Yeah, there's a couple out here that are getting ready to open up. And we're trying to make those arrangements with them. So really the whole gist of what I'm doing is um, not even just how can we help our officers take better care of themselves, but how can we do it around their schedule, around um, you only have two days off a month. You're trying to keep your marriage together, your family together. You feel like shit. You're run down. um, How can we work with them and around them and around their schedules? So it's, uh, there are a lot of moving parts to this, but it has been amazing. And I think what I'm so grateful for is the love of our law enforcement officers. And, you know, you don't see it, you don't hear it a lot, but through what I'm doing, I have been able to experience that. And I am uh, extremely grateful for it. Well, it sounds like y'all have a pretty good tight knit uh, community when it comes to law enforcement up there. You know, we, yes and no, you don't see it publicly, but I think privately when push comes to shove, uh, they really do support our officers. And, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. What matters to me is this is my family. Law enforcement is my family. It's um, a career my husband chose and he loved dearly. And I think that's true with probably 95% of law enforcement and first responders. So, you know, what can we do for them? And I think a lot, a lot more people need to take that um, stance. 
What can we do for our officers? What can we do to help them out? What can we do that right now? I believe it's the I believe it's the toughest career you can be in right now. No, we're definitely uh, hated. Yes, <laughs> I was just yes. talking. I did uh, a nine eleven little small tribute. I tried ever since I started the podcast. I've been trying to do that, but uh, I made the comment that uh, right after nine eleven, you know, the the amount of people coming up to you telling you thank you and all that stuff like that to where law enforcement is today where you know i can just be driving or riding down the road working minding my own business just patrolling and you know getting you know people telling me i'm number one with their middle finger uh you know or i had a guy told me to go f off you know f you the other not too long ago and i mean it's like and I wasn't even interacting with these people, you know. So, I mean, the hatred towards law enforcement, I blame that on, on the politicians and the news media. Yes, absolutely. And I, I agree with that. And, you know, even uh, what I'm doing is just such a small piece of health, health and wellness for you guys because you know the suicide and the addiction and the divorce rate. And the there's just so much coming against you guys uh, out on the streets and within your own departments. I mean, a lot of departments, I say they're eating themselves from the inside out. Oh, yeah. They're you know, destroying themselves and they don't have that uh, support system. So you have these young officers that are coming in at such a different time. The uh, job looks so different. Um, the streets are so different. You can't be a cop like you used to be. Uh, I know that where I live, it's, um, I think our murder rate's up 14% right now and still climbing. Um, you know, you don't go out at night. And I grew up here. It was an incredible little town to grow up in. You let your kids do whatever. You came home at dark. And, you know, now you don't even let them in the front yard. And it's it's really sad to see the times that we're in. But um, I do believe and I encourage everyone, um, you know, whether it's buying an officer their coffee, their meal, or just saying thank you, we need to remember, you know, you guys are out there protecting us. And without you, we're we're in trouble. Yeah, wish more people thought that we were actually out there to protect them, which we are. Uh, you know, I told somebody uh, I think it was yesterday. I was having a conversation with a, a younger person in her twenties, and I said, "Yeah, I said I, I can guarantee you this. I said there's no cop wakes up in the morning that I would know of that wakes up, gets dressed to go to work, strapping on all his gear, and says, you know what.'" I sure hope I get to kill somebody today. I don't know anybody. What I'm knocking, knocking on some wood right there. Uh, I'm coming up on. Uh, like I said, I'm coming up close to retirement. I have not had to uh, pull the trigger against anyone. I have been shot at. <laughs> I've been in a shootout, but I couldn't return fire because it, I was it was crossfire. But I'll talk about that a lot. I never even told that story on here yet, but. I've been in a shootout, been shot at, I've been dog bit, I've been cut, I've been run over, you know, punched, you name it, I've had it done to me, basically, you know. Yes, it's, people, I forget where I'm going now. Look, I'm so old, I got them old-timers disease. Uh, yeah, people but people don't appreciate it whatsoever, and the, the, how much has been, we, as cops, you do to your body over the years. Wow. Um, it's what do they say? If you finish your career, you take twenty years off of your life. Probably so. I mean, I I was a sergeant stuff for at a different department. And I, everybody's like, oh yeah. I was like, I, I don't want no more stripes. I don't want no more leadership. Uh, I was because I was the type, you know, I I wouldn't turn my radio off until every single person that worked under me was. I heard them go ten forty two off shift because, uh, you know, some of my people worked a couple hours after I got off and they, they were like I said something one time they said how'd you do that I was like I, I'll make sure I don't turn my radio off too I'll make sure everyone y'all are at home safely it's like I, it's like I'm not I said I'm not dealing with that no more I'm gonna give myself a heart attack or something because I guess it's like my kids or something uh well, it just makes you, I'll say it it makes you a great leader it makes you a man that cares about um your officers and uh I I applaud you for that. I think that's how it should be. And um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of a lot of the men and women like you have retired and have gotten out of this profession. 
And it's it's really heartbreaking because I think our young officers need to see these examples and what it looks like. And there's not too many of you left. Well, no, I'm like, I call myself a dinosaur cop uh, <laughs> because, you know, especially the way I was taught to police and policing and the way policing is now. Everybody's like, well, you're not going to do this. I could stay on. You know, you know, like I'm like, I said, I said, I feel like I'm one call away sometimes from doing my job 100% correctly and end up being an article on CNN. I said, no, yeah, I'm not going to do it. I said, because the way I police, I have to check myself sometimes now because I'm very, even though I'm older, I'm still out there on the street on a motorcycle. And I'm, like I said, such a dinosaur motorcycle cop because it's a young man's job. And uh, I'm a, I'm old school. I'll, I'll snatch somebody out of a window in a heartbeat of a car or something like that. And everything's different now. I'm very hands-on. Now it's like, oh, no, you got to sit back and try to de-escalate and do this. And uh, it's like, right. it's like I just I could just grab by the top of his hair and pull him out the car. He'll come out real fast like that. And I mean, what's the issue? He's resisting. You know, it's, so it's just like. So I said, it's time for me to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, but it's like you and I were talking about, you know, this job really does destroy you guys. It destroys your bodies. Your, I mean, you're so broken down and just the sickness and disease and uh, it shortens your life. And I know, and it's, it's probably my like nails on a chalkboard, but, you know, it goes back to the, well, this is what you guys signed up for. And, uh you know, it, it gets me every time. Um, I know what my husband signed up for, but uh, I didn't sign up to lose him at such a young age. He oh, didn't no. sign, you know, to, to go at such a young age. And um, he had a lot of exposures, you know, when it came down to it. And you all do. It's um, I actually had a fireman tell me the other day, he said, you know, you don't think of it like this, but officers have the same exposures as us. We just have protective equipment on and they don't. Oh, and yeah. I never thought of I never thought of it like that. And I thought, wow, he's right. Um, yeah, he's right. You go to car fires, you go to um, you know, to drug busts, you go, I mean, they're geared up, they're protected there, and you look at how high their cancer rates are, and you know, of course we're gonna um we're gonna experience that. We're uh, officers are gonna have that. But you know, again, the reason I started this was I keep saying, you know, it's time to change the narrative. It's time to get our officers diagnosed sooner. It's uh, there's some political fight in this. Also, there is a bill out there uh, just introduced in March uh, to um, make cancer uh, part of PSOB, which, you know, that's our um, safety officer benefits. So you would get paid out federally. Uh, when you pass, you know, that doesn't exist right now. It is a big fight. Um, wow. I'm actually, in the, I'm in the appeal process um, of it right now. And it's, I don't think it should be like this. I've met a lot of widows. I think where my fight comes from, I've met a lot of widows with young kids who ended up with nothing. And even though cancer was from the job, the benefits really didn't pay anything, or maybe their husband didn't have that you know, 15, 18, 20 years on, they had nine years on, they had eight years mm -hmm. on. And you watch these families suffer and you don't get the, you know, your kids don't get free college tuition. Your kids don't get all these benefits as opposed to in line of duty. And even now COVID, you know, COVID's in that where you get all those benefits. So uh, I very, very active in this bill. Um, Congressman Mike Garcia out here in California, he is um, really taking a stance with me. We have a lot of widows involved throughout the United States who are fighting for this bill. And, you know, again, like I said, have young kids at home. I'm blessed. My son has grown and I am blessed. I had a job and a great career, but, you know, a lot of women stay home because this job is so difficult in the hours. And um, usually you both can't work. So, there is a lot, a lot going on with uh, what I'm doing, but I don't think it's just cancer and the treatment and getting you guys greater option, better option, better treatment, quicker treatment. It's everything that comes with it. If you are going to go out and have these exposures and really give your life for this job, then I think you guys should get the benefits that come with it. Yeah. And that's too early. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about it. I mean, I've been, you know, I used to be SWAT 
bust meth labs and stuff. You don't even mm-hmm. want to know the chemicals there. I've been, I'm not going to get into it, car fires, like you said, and all that stuff like that. Yeah, I've, you know, I got smoke inhalation one time doing crap, you know, before the fire department got there. <laughs> like putting the fire out. Then it's like, yeah, they don't tell them what I breathed in and stuff like that. They don't even think about it when you're doing it. It's just almost reactionary for it. Yeah, you're doing your job. You're doing, um, and that's that's the difference that I think most people don't understand is like cancer with nine eleven. Uh, they take that as in line of duty has to be one specific incident. So nine eleven is one incident, which was obviously the planes going into the towers. And that's your cancer exposure. And it's a given. And I, I'm fine with that. I understand it. But then it doesn't make sense that because you guys have 20 exposures over a 20, 25 year career, that but can't be considered because it's not one. And I just find it so ironic that, okay, there's 20, there's not one, there's 20 and the exposure is greater for longer period of time, more intense, but yet that doesn't count to receive any of the benefits. Um, say, we'll say that you get for 9-11. Um, and, the, and those payouts were very, very large. They were a lot of federal money in there. And, you know, like I said, I honor those wives. I honor those families. Um, they, same thing, they didn't ask for this. But I believe if you are going to die from this job, your family should be taken care of. Yeah, I mean. You, you got a bunch of people out here that, uh, you know, especially people that get killed or catch something from being in the line of duty that, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you signed up. Guess what? I, I didn't sign up to die. I signed up because I uh, wanted to serve my fellow man, basically, protect, try to protect right. them in the community that I live in. So, you know, just like when, you know, everybody else is running away from the gunshots and we're running straight at it, you know. If we're not going to do it, who who's going to do it? Right. No, you're absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, again, I'll say it. That's what makes you guys heroes. I know you don't see it like that, but we do. Um, and, and again, like you said, the media and the politicians have changed this. But you can turn the TV on on any incident and you don't see people running back into the gunfire. You see them scrambling and running away and you see law enforcement and first responders running back in and. Uh, we really, we really need to look at that. But I, I do feel like um, it's a, it's a bonus. I'm not an officer. It is a plus. I'm a widow, and I think that has given me a really big voice to fight for this one piece of wellness. And if anybody uh, wants to donate or something to it, what, what would they do? Uh, it is bluecancerconnect.org. You can go on there and donate. You can find out information. You can apply for um, assistance or you can apply for whether it be second opinion, a chaplain, um, offer, you know, the officer to officer peer support or any information that you need. Uh, we will respond within 24 hours to that. We are actually getting ready to start a um, financial assistance program that is going to be uh, in in the memory of an officer. This is um, a widow that is setting this up, and we're going to take that piece on. Uh, but we're here, whether it be um, we have we actually have officers that are at the end of life that are on our peer team, and that's just I have no words. I I just have no words. You're gonna keep giving to the last. Yes. Okay. Well. I'm- uh, we- we have we also have officers that call. We will help you with your trusts and wills. We have a lot of attorneys that make house calls. Um, I know a lot of people don't have their paperwork in order, so we do talk about that. Um, and there have been officers that are that have called that want to talk about how do I talk about death with my wife or my husband or my children or my. So we are here for any piece that is needed um, on, with this cancer journey that they're on. Yeah, even if you don't have cancer or something wrong with you, if you're in law enforcement, in law enforcement, you need to get your will in order. Trust me. Uh, somebody uh, dies unexpectedly. It could be for any reason, and uh, you say, "Oh, but my family's not like that." Trust me. When it comes down to money and finances, 
you'd be surprised what your family can turn into. Well, and I think you know these stories. I think we've all heard them. I have yet to meet a law enforcement family that has had a money battle that it has not completely divided the family. Completely. Yeah. So if you have a get your wheels in order, I mean, get an attorney. I think they got the ones online and stuff like that. Tell me, do what you got to do to get your wheels in order because, uh, let me tell you what, when you go into secessions and all this other stuff like that, it, it's it's not it's not fun. Especially if you got one one especially if uh as most a lot of uh families are now, they're blended families. So yes. now you have uh you know, you got step brothers and sisters or step kids and stuff like that. You don't want you don't want your your kids to come in and kick their stepmom, which would be your wife out of the house or make her try to have to buy their part out which it could very easily happen because once you die your kids have get part of your estate so you got to have something in writing you don't want your your wife just lost you you don't want to have to think about trying to move somewhere it's because if you're a grateful children <laughs> right right and even your medical forms you know make sure you have your medical forms done that in that in case of emergency Someone can make decisions for you, so you don't have that family battle because that is another family battle. Yes, I've uh, seen it first hand yeah, with friends. Yeah, it's tough, um, and it could be being shot in the line of duty. It doesn't even have to be cancer, but these life and death um, situations. And I encourage spouses have those tough conversations. If I die, what do you want? If I die. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't know my husband wanted to be cremated. I didn't know he didn't want a full police funeral. Uh, he he was very adamant about all of this. And I had to respect that because I would have done completely opposite. Mm. So we found a uh, middle of the ground and I'm very thankful we we did talk about this. And, you know, the tougher conversation is what do I do when you're gone? How do I live? Um, do I sell the house? Do I move on? Do I go back to work? Uh, what do I do? You know, what do you do with the kids? Do you want them to go to college? Do you want them? These are horrible conversations, but you got to have them. Yes. You have to. Especially what we do. Well, we're going to thank uh, Miss Speed, Miss Vicki Speed here with uh, BlueCancerConnect.org, right? Correct. Okay. I remembered it the first time. I got old timers, people. Uh, <laughs> anybody wants to donate any money, I'm going to put the link in in the description of the podcast. Also, and uh, thank you. Don't don't hang up. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put us out in and uh, just let you know I'll put it out here now. If you you know as you're continuing this journey through this, uh, seems like you're already killed in six months. You'd be more than welcome to get in contact with me and come back on anytime. To, I would love with to. any any information to all the people out there you're listening you know the spiel uh watch your back watch your partner's back i say we're not sheepdogs we're lions we're king of the jungle and always smile because the ice man could be behind you <laughs>